Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, if you haven't already, be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want to hear from you and get your feedback. Uh, we have a really exciting podcast coming up today. I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? Doing well. Excited to tackle another draft prospect today. Indiana's own, Jeremy Sohan. I'm counting him as Indiana's own. He went to La Lumiere. It, it counts. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, honestly, yeah. Jaron Jackson, Jaden Ivey, Jeremy Sohan. Come, come be a – you are a pacer. That's, Jordan Poole. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, all right. This team would be – let's make it happen. Um, it's not Jalen Brunson, unfortunately, so I guess that's not happening. But uh, we're, I'm really excited to be joined by a good friend of mine, somebody who's back in the public basketball space again, and that is my my guy, at Ben Thrifty on Twitter. I'll have his, uh, his links down below so you can go follow him. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing doing very well. We're doing very well. Like it's a free basketball day, so you, you kind of like what happens is on free basketball days, you just fill it with basketball that is not like not required or something like that. It's like oh, it's not the last game. Is you watch the like the last games that you missed the, like the last past couple of weeks, or you watch a random prospect or something like that. So it's uh, I guess it's you fill basketball with more basketball sometimes in this sphere, but it uh, is it's, it's a, it should be a fun day, uh, fun day because I'm excited to talk about. Uh, a player that's very eye of the beholder, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot to get into with Jeremy, like you're mentioning. And as you mentioned too, there's no basketball today, which is just like mind blowing to me. feels like yeah. the first day in forever. There's no W there's no re- regular NBA. There's just, there's nothing. So I'll probably watch a bunch of old heat games because why not? <laughs> I'm working on a project, but uh, Caitlin, uh, our guy actually does know about the format because he listens to the podcast so I have once again cheated the system. But for uh, for those who are new listeners, would you like to explain how we how we do our, our draft profiles? Of course. If you're a new listener, we're picking a different prospect, obviously, for every episode. Today's Jeremy Sohan. And we invite a guest on to be our draft expert. But Mark and I pick a sample of games. So this week we watched Baylor play Kansas, TCU, and Alabama. And then we're each picking a stock up, something that we're bearish or bullish, and a stock down from that sample's games. And we're going to throw it off of our expert and also branch off into other topics as we go. All right. Well, yeah. So let's get started up with our stock up. Uh, Caitlin, where do you want to go with this one? Or did, did you go last time? I'm trying to remember. No, no, you can go ahead and go. Okay. I think my general stock up would just be positive decision-making and feel like, um, especially, I mean, on, on either end, I think Jeremy really exemplifies just making good things happen on the basketball court Um, like his uh, point of attack defense is fantastic and it's not just like I think it's um, especially when looking at the lens of like prospects in general like he and Tari are very different in terms of how they do things defensively I feel like like uh, there's a lot more not that Tari doesn't have good technique but I think like Jeremy's technique is like it's very damn impressive like he doesn't take a lot of missteps Um, the way he reads things is really impressive 
and even offensively, which it'll tie into some of the stock down too. But like, if he does get walled off on a drive, he's good at finding cutters or outlets and um, he just makes positive plays happen. So I think that would be my stock up. Just having somebody with um, the ability to make positive plays on both ends of the court. Yeah, I think that's going to probably fit in in part to both of mine in different ways as well. But yeah, I mean, not to just pit he and Tari against each other. Jeremy obviously doesn't have the same degree of stocks production mm-hmm. as Tari does. But I think, I mean, and we might as well go into mine a little bit as well. Like, I think the thing that stood out to me the most, and this is going to seem like a strange comparison, but when people get into the article, I kind of compared him to the same effect as watching a dancer when they turn and they have to spot. Because I think that a lot of times with defenders, the best way to judge somebody's processing is when they're in a scramble situation. And when Baylor was in scramble situations, he did a good job of feeling his way out of that, communicating, knowing where he needed to be to recover. And then obviously just his sense on like skip passes to be able to travel quickly all the way from the corner to outside the opposite block to be there and to also be under control. Um, I have one possession that's going to, that is my main section and we can throw this both of what we've said off of our guest, obviously is that there's a possession like right at the beginning of the game against TCU where he's just flying all over the place, but it's all with a purpose. And he literally defends at one point in time, every single TCU player on the floor. Like when you watch him, it feels very much like he can shut down an entire team's offense. And he was only guarding the ball for maybe two seconds of the possession, but he does so much in the shadows and understands and has such a good awareness of off ball awareness that um, he can make a big difference. Even when he isn't, like I said, making a direct impact on the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, like what I like to kind of describe um, Jeremy as is like, he's extremely like mentally engaged on the court. He's uh, he's like, he's always like, he's always um, focusing on the ball, like where the ball is and everything, but he does it in a way that where, even if he's like maybe for like 0.5 seconds losing losing his man, he always remembers that. Oh, I have to look back and see. He's not he's not constantly uh, just like staring uh, staring down uh, one assignment. He's he knows that uh, especially in the Baylor scheme where they encourage a lot of uh, switching. They have a very specific principle that of course the Babes wants no no middle. Uh, they uh, they are very he's very aware of okay. I need to make sure I'm keeping track of multiple responsibilities at one time, and he's extremely good, especially with his, um, his uh, pretty good uh, physical tools of applying, applying that. Um, of, of course, it, uh, it kind of depends on, I guess, how you really want to use him in, in terms of like, maybe he'll max, which will maximize because I'll, I'll say like, he's probably best mostly what like let you give him free reign to like roam around a bit and kind of just make his, make his own plays and kind of uses communication to uh, hop into one. But it, but I think he's very mentally engaged to the point where like whatever assignment you give him, you sh- relatively trust him that he'll, he'll, he'll keep with it and, and, and do a good job with it. Yeah, I also want to touch on what you said, Mark, a little bit about the point of attack defense and get a little bit more insight into that because I felt that when I watched it, like he obviously, you know, his movement skills, very laterally smooth, has some backward mobility, is pretty advanced I feel in verticality for how old he is mm. but sometimes when he is at the point of attack I feel like like if he gets switched onto a guard and then a second screen is going to come 
I, I found it kind of interesting because it felt like Baylor at times wanted him to go over on those instead of like us switching it again or wanted him to be able to duck under it. And I felt like he could be a little bit over eager biting on that in certain circumstances. And then as well, like he could stay in between the guard and the basket, but actually finishing it without needing a parachute was a little bit of a problem at times. But how did you feel overall about his point of attack defense? Yeah, I think you you hit that on the nose for me, like talking about the over eagerness on screens and also just in general, like I feel like he's like, like you mentioned, really good on lateral slides. But I do think like our guy hit on, like, I think I look at it, um, the recovery skills are very good. But I think in terms of just what his actual athleticism is that not to call him a bad athlete, but I do think like uh, he can get beat a little bit. And like you're mentioning without ha- like, I think he's he'd probably be better at funneling than straight up just shutting something down. Um, on his own, if that makes sense. Yeah, like I, I want to say, like as a point of attack, I kind of describe him as the appeal is like he's kind of passable to decent at like a very wide range of assignments. Uh, but I don't think he will like actually like take away an option on a point of attack, uh, point of attack for very uh, for almost any uh. Uh, options like first he like I think if you switch on to him uh he switches onto a guard like late in the clock I think you could you won't panic you won't say oh you had to throw help at the nail pronto 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 it was like all right for like that three seconds like it's probable he won't just like get blown by immediately or or get struck but like I, I think if it's like if you have him guard on a, a pretty decent ball handler like five times in a, in a quarter in the NBA quarter like it might be like the third or fourth or fifth time he, they start to like learn that oh he's given a little bit too much space in form of my pull up or oh uh, he's like opening his hips a little bit too much for for me to go through so it's like uh, I think it's like in the emergency situations or like very like small doses he's very comfortable in many uh, situations I think the same thing for when he's guarding bigs like he's very good at like football denial like, and with the activity and the mentally engaged he's very good at like being 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 uh, active and trying to deny that but uh is when he gets when the actual big if it's like especially like a true center like 610 plus or so like at al horford i think like if they get he gets the ball and he's under the rim against al horford al horford it's gonna have that advantage there uh i think versus so and even if so like which may again affect how you view him as like oh do i really want to mess a small ball five in certain cases uh it, it might depend on uh what you're comfortable with as a scheme and as as your as the rest of your personnel but I think it's, it's also, but it's also a case where, like, if he's ball denying for a few seconds with a, a center, uh, he it might be able to actually just prevent the pass from coming through, and then maybe just square, square, square switch out or something like that, and is a is a good is a good possession that that can. So it's like in small doses, he's very good in many situations. Just like what is his main thing on point of attack? I'm not hundred sure. Of course, probably going to be like big wing, say so what. Yeah, I like what you bring up about the big man too, like being able to hold his own in the interior. Cause I agree with you. I think he's pretty decent with like a quick swim move to get in front or to front for a little bit. And then if you are a team that's willing to bring like the help from the backside with like a red coverage, you'd probably feel comfortable with it. But if you're not, I do feel that like, especially in the Kansas game when they did run him a little bit at small ball five and he was up against McCormick that you could tell after so many possessions of it, like what you referenced that, um, having to hold up to that degree, just one-on-one over a full game might be a little bit um, much, but yeah, I think you made some really good points there. Yeah, no, I think that's what's so interesting because like, uh, and this is something we'll hit on because actually uh, we were talking about this yesterday, but 
Um, some of the interest isn't in like how he fits with the roster and trying to figure out what you're doing is, is what makes it really interesting when, in talking about him for sure. Um, Caitlin, do you want to, I mean, I guess, is that a good way to transition the stock down or do we want to head on a few other things first? No, I think we can go on to stock down if, if you know what you have picked. Yeah. I mean, the stock down is so, uh, is, it's very easy on this one for me. And that is just shooting and shooting indicators right now. Um, like, I think basically for me, what your range is going to be on as a, as a draft person on Jeremy Sohan is going to be pretty in, based on how you feel his shot is going to come along and what level it can get to. Because right now, like, uh, as good as he was in that Kansas game, and I mean, obviously Baylor wins that game, I think 80 to 70, but uh, you mentioned like uh, Jeremy playing at small ball five. And I think a lot of that, that first half was like he was able to beat McCormick off the dribble because McCormick closed out a few times. And then that second half, it just didn't happen. And he's still able to make some things happen because he was, I mean, he's decently athletic, has big si a good size. The ball handling is pretty good for his size and he can just make things happen. But I think you saw so often like, okay, McCormick's just sitting for him at the nail. He's going to drive into it. He gets balled off and then he'll make a play. But I just, I really question how much some of that stuff is going to be there at the next level. Um, and as much as I think like he's, he's a good finisher around the rim, but like the, the free throws, uh, the free throw touch is very poor right now. The shot looks pretty different every time. And I think I would like, even though he's a good athlete, I would quantify him as a pretty stiff athlete right now. And I think that definitely shows up in his jump shot a lot. Um, I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but I do think like to me, it just, uh, it makes it a lot more challenging to see how you get a lot of, like, not that I don't think he can be a good NBA player, but I think there are just a lot, uh, the, the pathways are a lot more difficult if the shot doesn't come around. Well, I want to get feedback first on what our guest just thinks of the shot, the shot mechanics, the free throw percentage in general, because it sounds like that's where your springing off point is. And I anticipated that's that's where you were going to go. So mm -hmm. mine's going to go a little bit differently than that. Uh, with the jumper, uh, it's always been rather bad. Like he played a uh, third tier in German uh, basketball, and it was very similarly like in the in, in mid, uh, mid 20s in percentage uh, from deep. It was bad poor for uh, free throw shooting has always been a bugaboo of his uh i think he kind of shoots kind of a lot of all a lot with just all arms like when it looks good is when he's putting more blood low body input but the thing is he can't consistently control where his butt feet like his footwork or his his uh his butt is uh, uh lower body input will go so it's a lot of times he's just arming that's why i kind of think he's a little bit better like from short range because he could kind of upper body more more short, uh, closer shots uh, you can, he also uses his, his size, he's six nine, but about 220. So, you can, if he's especially mashed up with like a smaller guard or something like that, he's more comfortable just like rising up and, and that, that's a little bit easier for him. But, like, from a deep shot and from whatnot, like that's where it, it, it could get messy for him. Uh, and it's, it's a choosier or an adventure type deal. Uh, and I don't, I don't think it's like, I think that you could work around it if, but he has, I think he has some other flaws that maybe Kayla will go into that kind of compound with the inability to shoot uh, that that may make it like the bigger worry where like he really has to shoot if he's going to have these flaws that which historically or seem less fixable than learning how to shoot so uh, I don't know where Kayla was going with their with her son yeah I mean I kind of operated under because I assumed that Mark was going to talk about drawing closeouts in the shooting so 
I kind of operated mine under the assumption of like, Hey, let's talk about what if, what if that doesn't come around? Like, mm-hmm. and also like, I just have a little bit different view of like my stock down. I've put spacing in quotes. Um, Cause I, I think a lot of times we just look at what spacing is based on a person's three point value or their accuracy when that kind of misses another important factor of, can they do something with the ball? Yeah. So there's moments where like, if you look at just his synergy numbers, he's basically not doing anything. Like he barely has any shot attempts off the roll or the slip. But when you watch like the Alabama game and other ones, there's times where they're in horns, they go off of his side. He slips, he'll be wide open. He just doesn't get the ball. And the reverse of that, they popped him fairly often, but again, it really wasn't to get him the ball, which I understand. And when you watch defenses, like I don't think NBA defenses are going to bite on that exaggerated pump fake if he's shooting, you know, 28% on catch and shoot threes. But like just on the pop, like they don't care. Like Alabama does not care at all. The guard is not peeling back. The guard, the the big, there's no tension on the rim protector at all. And the weak side's not moving a muscle. He's just standing there. So then it becomes a question to me of what else, could a team potentially do with him? Could you put him in the short role and take advantage of what some of his playmaking is? And would he get the ball in those situations? If he's playing with a guard like Tyrese Halliburton, where, you know, we saw Goga get the ball more in those situations. We saw, you know, even Terry Taylor get the ball some in those situations. Um, And then also like Mark brought up the game against Kansas. And that's why I did find it a little bit interesting because I agree. He wasn't necessarily getting into the paint. Um, McCormick goes under like the one pick and roll, but it's an inverted screen at the elbow. So the guard pops out and, you know, you'd much rather have a guard getting a three at the top of the key than just stationing Jeremy Sohan stationary. And I don't really think that he's always stationary anyways. He kind of reminds me, and this is going to seem like a strange comp, but he can be a little bit like Obi Toppin and that even when he's in the corner, he's always looking for screens, always moving, mm-hmm. always being active, can slip out of that and make a pass. And then there was another possession where he literally played both sides of the pick and roll, similar to what the Pacers started doing with Sabonis during the COVID time. So my long rambling point of this is I do not think he's Sabonis. He does not have the same degree of force at the rim. He's not as polished clearly, but if you do need to find other pathways to use him, if the shot isn't there, I have a lot of doubts that the Pacers are going to be that team just based on the fact that they didn't really want to be using, you know, Sabonis at point center mm-hmm. until they absolutely had to when Karras and Brogdon were both in health and safety protocols. Yeah. And I also part of the spacing is also like as a cutter and one not, uh, I think, I think he's like, he's very mentally engaged. Like, as you mentioned, like he's always looking to try and do something off wall when he's like, he's like either screen, but it feels like he's kind of, unsure sometimes uh, like he's like a little bit hesitant on like should i cut here uh, so like god's is you know, like sometimes he even got the ball i remember in the like tcu game where he he's kind of just like slightly like like uh, sliding forward towards the paint and like it just happens that tcu loses him so he gets the ball and he dumps but it's like was it like a forceful cut it was it was just him like kind of like should i go here should i not and it feels like sometimes he's like not sure exactly how because it seems like he's self-aware that oh they're not guarding me as a shooter how do i enforce myself in this play uh but he's like kind of paralyzed by choice where should i come and try and get the ball should i get should i go into the, the towards the rim should i will i mess up the space in here are they looking to drive should i just try the screen i think i think he's uh, part of it's also that i think Bart baylor is very open in terms of off ball 
what 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 there be a lot of players to do off ball. Like I know uh, Kendall Brown, another prospect. Uh, he's he's very very like uh, known for when he's in the corner. He's always trying to like hedge like just like hedge forward. He's doing like a cat and mouse game with his defender in terms of of should I am I about to cut now or am I going to go because he's also a not shooter. So he, uh, Kendall Brown. So he he's, he's always doing like a little cat and mouse game with his defender, which is uh you you would think that it may it may be a little bit out of scheme because you know, of course you would most both schemes they want like firmly in you're in, in the corner or you're firmly going to cut something like that so uh i i maybe it's, it's possible that in a more uh, rigid scheme in in the nba where like you're saying all right in these situations well, we want you to screen uh, look for a screen or to run an exit here or something like that or to cut cut you will they'll he'll be more decisive with that and it will be better because i do think he could feasibly do all of it he's like i think he's like He's, he has like pretty cool decisions as a screener in terms of he'll like he'll change the angle sometimes or he's reaching sometimes he doesn't always make contact, like clean contact but I think you could prove on that uh, I think as a cutter he 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 has like enough athleticism he's like he's not like uh, as he compared him to Obi Toppy he's not going to like jump out the gym right or anything like that but he I think I think his layer layer top touch is pretty good uh, and uh, of course it might be an issue with he's like scared of fouling because of the free throw shooting which uh, but. Uh, you, I guess you, you get there when you get there. Um, uh, he's got, I think he can make plays on the move, but I think he's a little bit slow with like making some reads. But like he usually, if he sees the pass, he's very aggressive taking making the pass. It's like he's unselfish. It's just a like maybe split second behind like the elite passers or so. Or so. So uh, I think the thing is like he could do a lot of things. And I think that's kind of the gist with Jerry. He could do a lot of things, but yeah, it kind of takes effort to find the one thing he could definitively do. On, on the court and one coaches don't like it takes don't like to take a lot of effort for a player who is probably going to project more as a role player in, in any way so like exactly if, if you're if you have a like a fourth option who's just like a definitive knockdown shooter or they're rather relative to a fourth option who could do a little bit of everything but you always have to be setting them up a play so you could do a little bit of everything uh well whether you you most coaches are going to pick the knockdown shooter because you can always just put them in the corner uh, uh worst case scenario and you know that he's gonna have some value well there if you miss do, do a play wrong or you think of you think of the wrong goal for him in a certain certain uh against a certain matchup he could be pretty quickly at like an offensive negative and and it's it's, it's kind of like your plan for him like the good thing is if you're picking him like let's say the pacers did pick him at the six overall. You would assume that they have planned for him, uh, but of course, assumptions can go awry sometimes. But. Yeah, I like that you brought up like the exit screening because the Pacers try to do, you know, a fair amount of flares and pins on the weak side during two man game on the opposite. There was a really good play where he recognized pretty quickly, set an exit screen, slipped out of it against the switch, and then made a wraparound pass to the big crashing down to the paint. So I think that you can see some of those types of recognitions, but I would agree that there are times where it's like he can get stuck in no man's land almost a little bit when he can't get to the rim to the basket, and then he kind of has to pivot, pivot. But he does, like, I wouldn't say he necessarily panics. He shows patience for the pass to open up, but um, can be a little bit indecisive in some of those situations and does rely on the turnaround uh, jumper quite a bit, which it seemed like, I forget which one, I think it was Alabama started sitting on that kind of knifing down, knowing he was going to turn over um, the one shoulder. Yeah, so, uh, Mark, I know you, uh, you said before that you were, like, more, like, unsure about, like, him as, like, a, a handler. Like, will he actually get to his 
uh, be able to use this bot uh, or like if it tactical close that will he always be like getting to the rim uh do you think that if you scheme him as like like let's say like you ran if, you, if he was in a heavy dho system where like they constantly put him in a dho to like get him around and and towards the rim would you have confidence that he will like have notable uh, increased rim volume for where it would be worth it or are you would it be to the point where you rather just do it with another player who has similar skills but might have uh, a shoot more, uh, more options out of out of the dh you know he's always going down downhill uh, out of the dh there's not much else he could do with it uh besides maybe a, a quick pass uh something like that yeah no i think that's such a good point like i uh and it's not meant as like a, a slander thing for him but it's just like in general like i uh I wrote, I can't remember when I wrote about this. I think it was when I wrote about screening, but like, I think what's so difficult is like to actually warrant, um, like just can, warrant is the wrong way to put it, but like, like Caitlin mentioned, like it took them so long just to, to do stuff with Demonis Sabonis, who is like the, one of the five best players at creating on the margins in the NBA. And like, if you don't have a system that is super excited about trying to get the most out of the margins based plays like that, um, I'm not sure. Like, I think it, it makes it really tough. Cause like, even like, I mean, as Caitlin and I well know watching Thad Young play here, like you have to, I mean, Thad was like a borderline all defense guy. And even then, like, I think you saw some of the issues pop up in the playoffs, like, um, it, you know, but like, even then, like, I think like he got way more maximized in Chicago and like, he, he changed up his approach a little bit too. But like, I think my question would just be more like, even if he does get some of those attempts, I do think like it's still uh, not not that he's a bad finisher, but like I wouldn't really consider him a lob threat. I don't think he's the most bouncy. Like he does have like very good like tough finishes around the rim for sure. But I just think like okay, if a defense starts like all right, instead of like giving you a deep drop, we're gonna play up higher. Like if we just switch on to you, what happens? If we don't let you slip, what happens? If we meet you, you know, five feet away from the rim and you have to throw up, like you're you know, like a 35% floater, we're going to live with that. So I think uh, it's tough too, because like, I do think he could be a really good short role player, but I just question whether or not his individual offense is going to be good enough. And like we saw, like, I think Bruce Brown is like the best, like the best version for like a case study of this. Like, okay, if you're not shooting outlier percentages on that floater every time, then like the defense is just going to forget about you. Like they don't, they're going to be, they're going to get to a point, especially like I'm, I'm thinking too far ahead, like in the playoffs, like I do think it'll look different in regular season, but when it gets to a stage where like, it really matters for what you're doing for the offense, I do think it gets to a point where you're like, that's going to be like the pressure point where like, we're going to let you have that. And I, I don't know, it just gets really interesting in trying to figure out what that is. And I think I would just be, especially compared to, I still, I don't love doing comparisons, but just compared to like what some of the other options are for the Pacers at six, I do think like, to me, I just don't know if the defense is going to be quite to the level where I think it's going to be um, like so good that you are willing to try and develop some of those things out. I don't know though. Where, where are you guys at with that? Yeah. I'll say like with the defense, especially, I think I discussed it with you. Like ideally, as I was saying before that he, he's probably best as like a roamer where he could just do a little bit of everything and especially aggressive, like what he's like uh, is instinctively best at, which is aggressively helping on, on the ball often in the paint and uh, kind of, and kind of just put an external pressure on the ball. Uh, but that's kind of what uh, you would think uh, Ijax was drafted for mm -hmm. in terms of as a roamer, it, uh, kind of being like a chaos en engine and 
on helping there. Of course, I think I think I said like I think uh, Jeremy kind of does it at least for Verena. He kind of does it in a smarter in a smarter way. He's a little bit more calculated in terms of when he's roaming off to his man to help. Uh, he's usually more um, diligent about keeping keeping his previous assignments uh, in, uh, outside of dangerous uh, situations without him being able to recover. But I, you, 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 you spend a lot of, uh, of uh, resources on IJAX, and IJAX is also has tools, physical tools, especially that Sohan can't reach. So you may even say that IJAX has a higher ceiling as in that role, and is a kind of a question of whether you have, if you have two role uh, players in that role, uh, especially as your main front court, uh, uh, like defensive anchors, is that feasible? Can you actually have people roaming like that and not cause too much undiscipline and chaos and communication that's a little bit too hard to manage and whatnot so in that case uh, so like the good thing is Sohan is versatile but then it's like if you have to kind of get rid of that like best skill and go to a second third best skills is he actually then where they like is having him as a, just a decent to good defender at worth a six pick when you're the whole cell is him as a defensive player I mean, and I think that's exactly it. That's basically how I summed up my section, what you just said about Isaiah Jackson, and that if you look at both ends of the floor, like if you are going to let Sohan do handoffs, which I think that the Pacers would, because even after Sabonis was gone, they still ran stuff out of delay, mm -hmm. um, even with guys that you wouldn't necessarily have readily thought. Like there was times where Jalen Smith would be doing yeah. that. They're, they're fairly comfortable. And I do think that Sohan can develop a sneaky keeper. He's not com always completely under control with it. Like, I mean, just in that Kansas game, he drew um, an offensive foul trying yeah. to bust through a, a switch off of it. But yeah. I think that he can get there. But then it's what you just said. If he's doing that, is Isaiah Jackson in the corner? Are you putting him in the dunker spot? How are you using him? And just like I said before, I, I think that you could use him as a short roller. I think that, you know, his passing feels decent enough that he could turn and face up and make a play with numbers. But again, are you going to roll him instead of rolling Isaiah Jackson's vertical pop? And if you do, do you feel good enough about Isaiah Jackson popping out in two-man screening actions? I'm not sure that you really do in what you just said. Like they already made and, you know, trades to move up to get Isaiah Jackson last year. Defensively, I feel a little bit better, actually, about Sohan's overall discipline and awareness and what he recognizes on defense at this current moment than I do about Isaiah Jackson. But when you take everything into account and the fact that one of them's already on your roster, I don't think that the overall fit is completely there either with him or exactly with how Rick Carlisle wants to play, even though I really – um, find a lot of his glimmers very intriguing. It just, it seems to me that it would probably be a better fit for his overall development to land with a different team. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right in the same boat. I think it just, uh, it's like, it, it just makes it murky. Like I think, I mean, you brought this up with me yesterday, like you mentioned, I, I think it's just like, what are, you know, it becomes, uh, very much so a, a, a mile Sabonis thing in, um, in a different light, obviously, but it just becomes like, okay, well, how are you maximizing these two guys at the same time? And obviously you can't necessarily maximize everybody, but it definitely like cuts off some developmental pathways. And it's just like, uh, it's a little murky, but. Yeah. And that's, um, what's kind of interesting though, because if miles is still on the roster and if like they hadn't have drafted yeah. Isaiah Jackson, Sohan and miles make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like in a lot of different ways, I think to replace some of the playmaking that you don't have from the big position. But then again, I don't know how much playmaking Rick Carlisle really wants from the big position, but um, that's yeah. a, that's a different topic. <laughs> um, Why pass when you can only spot up? One other thing that I did want to talk about that, like, 
if if the shot were to be developed, because I do think that that is something I've mentioned on prior pods, like Rick Carlisle has worked with different players on, you know, tweaking their shot and seeing some growth in that area. Like if the shot were to come around, do either of you feel, because I did on a few of the games where people, you know, would buy it on the pump fake or he would draw a hard closeout, that his footwork can be a little bit formulaic. And that he's not necessarily reading what angle the defender's coming out as and already has in his mind. Like, I'm going to attack this way when, you know, going in the opposite direction is wide open. Like that in the other Kansas game, that was very clear. Is that something that shows up across a wider span of the film? Yeah, I think like his dribble process in general is very like, like formulaic and very like programmed in that. Like usually he's, he's he's trying to do the fake and or he, or he's just ripping and going immediately uh, with like maybe a, a little uh, with a little rip through, but it's like he's gonna try and do like a he's gonna see if he can blow by this man. If he can't blow by his man, usually he's trying he's doing like either like a very basic crossover or he's taking like a pound another pound dribble or two, and then he might go after that pound dribble into uh, a little Europe if he's like he has enough space. But often time if he doesn't, he's too far away to try, even attempt a Euro. Then he's mostly going to like stop, and he's going to look for is a, or some a bailout option, or he's going to try and go for like that that uh that little like. 15 to 18 footer or so and even on those like on those shots like it's usually after like looking for other options it's like spinning a little bit and then he'll like go over it and see, see if he has it's like a size advantage or whatnot it's, it's like he's is what he when he's has a good a good drive it looks very good like it looks very clean because he's usually able to like get a little step on his band at least to a little space to the side and then he's, he's usually pretty good at like using his dry length and gathering around toward, around the rim so like even if he's not like directly under the rim he's getting like a very clean uh, layup off and usually it looks good at, at that point but it's when he can't just get cleanly into like his spot you know, like around the around the paint area or or, or like on the side of uh, on the side of rim is when he's like all right what do i do now uh and it's like he's just going back to what he knows it's like you could kind of feel that he wants to be an aggressive like handler uh you could you feel like for somebody who can't shoot and was mostly the like the fourth or fifth option in in many lineups like he had a pretty he was like well over 20 he, i should say well over, but he was over 20 percent usage I, I believe and uh he's he he's he was a he, he was a little bit more aggressive before baylor as well when he was in germany as, uh, as well he's he's he could he could tell like he he wants to make plays he wants to make plays on both ends uh he's uh he's he's physical uh I say like uh, I say like people. Uh, I have the joke that people who dye their hair so many different colors, they tend to be aggressive. They, 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 they tend to they tend to think of themselves as playmakers. Uh, often. Tell you, Bray, uh, is uh, is very much so in that. Uh, this is yeah, it was like this deep bay uh, corollary, as we said. Um, but uh, we uh, yeah, like we it's he 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 seems like he wants to do things. Uh, as you mentioned before, he especially I was even off ball when he's when he stuff. He's he's able, he just wants to do things. It's just that. If you could do only a little bit of everything, but you can't, you don't have like this is dependable offense for me, uh, for you, then it can actually end up as a negative. Like you, you saw, uh, uh, as we were mentioned before, like the fourth option who's just a spot up shooter but can't do anything else, oftentimes is, is better for the coach just because at least he could, he could always be like a valve in that sense. 
where it might be a case where, oh, we'll try him as a driver. Oh, that's not working. Oh, you'll try him as a roller. Oh, there he, there he, there's stopping him at the floater range and he's not making his floaters. Oh, we will try him. We will use him as a DHO option. Ah, oh, this is, 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 is mixed bag. Is, is a, a lot of things that you could possibly do. And I think, I expect he'll have many games where like, it seems like he's doing a little bit or I think he'll look great, but, but it is like the trust that he could do one specific thing is like actually the negative. That's why I kind of compared him to like, uh, Jared Culver, uh, who was like a very big uh, draft doll and darling um, in, or, in, uh, like three years ago. And it was well, based on a lot of like, oh, he kind of looks good doing everything. He's like, he looks uh, like that year he was, he shot better than uh, Jeremy did, but it was like 33% on like a very, a fairly ugly looking jumper. But it was like a hope that it'll, it'll at least become decent uh, decent enough to a lock that he could pass a bit he could drive a bit he can uh uh he can you know uh, make this make decisions he could use a good cutter uh is but what happened was what the jumper didn't progress much or it actually regressed uh to below jeremy standards now even seemingly and also like he was never like an elite athlete so him getting into spots wasn't like a guarantee it was more like on craft on driving and nba team defense were more consistent cutting that off so it ended up being that oh if he can't always just go to there and get to the rim and and, and drive he's not and he's not and right now a non-shooter it's kind of hard for a minnesota and now memphis to find ways to integrate him into offense that's kind of why he's stepped back and i kind of fear that's that's if jeremy struggles in the league that's kind of the route where like it, without the jumper and being pretty good at everything and still being like a decent passer and still being a, a decent finisher, but not being able to reliably get to the areas where that's dangerous. Uh, he kind of put, he, teams are to kind of like prioritize other players who they know they can uh, depend on offensively. And I think that that's the right summary. I mean, I, I think that that's in the sense that it doesn't feel like he has one specific crystallized skill, I think is, is kind of the best summary of him. But Mark, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask or things that you wanted to hit on? Well, yeah. I mean, just to, to hit on, on what you mentioned, like I think uh, obviously different in some senses, like, like you mentioned formulaic, Caitlin, I actually, I mean, like I agree with that, but I'd almost say like, he's kind of slow, if that <laughs> makes sense. Like, I, I don't mean that in, to sound like, unfair but like i do think like he's somebody i watch and like even though i think you can project him out as playing a four at the four eventually like he's very much the one i would call a big like i i don't think that there i would i would call him a forward or like obviously he'd play a forward spot so it's all like you know rudimentary but i do think like he he does have like the power form long strides but he's just kind of slow off the dribble too which makes it kind of like uh like a, just a little bit harder like and even like you, you mentioned it as well like um, it kind of is very, obviously very different, but it reminded me a ton of like watching early Springer at Tennessee in terms of just driving in and like, I want to make something happen. But part of it too, is Rick Barnes just demanding his guards to post up, but like you, he'd get walled off. And he's like, okay, well I'll make a play. And I actually, like, I'd say Springer is probably a better processor than Sohan was. I don't know if that's fair. Uh, if, I, I mean, I think he had more, like, he had the Springer had that jump stopped. So yeah, like, yeah. The jump he's like, he's very good. Uh, he's did pretty decently brought two feet. So it was like easier for him to like find passing windows and yeah. or he's, his, I think his mid range jumper was better than. So yeah, definitely. So it's like, play. again, yeah. Like it's definitely different, but like, it's like it's kind of that same vibe. Yeah. Like I'm getting to the paint. I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to make something happen. And I, so I think that was a great way to put it. Um, I'm trying to think, do I have anything else I want to hit on? Um, 
Now, like in the in the, uh, I want to ask this in the possibly let's say on draft day they actually like trade uh, uh, Isaiah Jackson for somebody of equivalent value, but he's like a perimeter player. Uh, would you then be willing to consider so on at six, like at at six specifically? Uh, me personally, I would say no. Like I I just think given with where this team is at, like um, I think see this is tough because I hate like hitting guys against one another, but that's part of the draft. And like to me, I think I would just personally be more interested in Keegan at six. Like if if Keegan is there at six, I think that he does a lot more things that I view as fitting with um, like obviously he's not going to bring quite the same defensively or even close to the same defensively, I should say. But like I do think offensively for a team that really needs somebody who can be that kind of release valve in the offense, like I would really value that. And I think that there are pathways to him becoming even more on that end. And um, but I don't know, where are you at with that, Caitlin? Because I think it's a really good question. Let me spring off of it and just like there's a possession of a team that you covered, not the Pacers of the Cleveland Cavaliers where they're playing. I don't remember who they're playing, but everybody collapses on Garland in the paint and Evan Mobley's in the left corner and Okoro's on the left wing. They're wide open. Nobody cares. Yep. They pass it to Evan Mobley. He makes a very quick swing pass directly to Okoro. Okoro drives into that space, passes it back to Mobley. Mobley then drives and, and gets to the basket and scores. Like, if you look at a Coro in that setting, that's the difference between, like, you know, having to put a guard in the dunker spot who isn't a shooter and actually being able to stay out on the perimeter and do something. I think this Stohan, if that space is there, can dribble into that space, even if he doesn't get a hard closeout, and make a pass better than, like, and again, I'm not trying to pit him against each other either, but better than, like, watching Tari Easton try to force his way right and just mm-hmm. completely truck over somebody without making the pass before he does it. But then you have to assess the fact that, like, we're talking about a role player there. And I like a lot of the things that Sohan could do as a role player. But, again, I'm not sure that Rick Carlisle is going to want to do some of the stuff that would develop him to be more than that. So for the Pacers to take him at six, I would land where you do, because I think that Keegan addresses um, and complements Tyrese better and addresses more some of where some of their weaknesses are. But I think when we agreed to do this one, mainly it was because somebody asked us to do it. And two, because Kevin Pritchard's been open that they could move up and they could also move down. So if they would find a way to get another pick and you're talking like, you know, the 11 to 15 range and Sohan was there and you moved Isaiah Jackson, then yeah, I could see it because I do think like what I said before, that if Miles Turner were to sign an extension and he remains on the roster, I think that there's stuff that you could do with the two of them. And defensively, I don't think that Miles has had, I mean, yes, Thad, but in terms of like what I said before, like Sohan's ability to read, I'm just very impressed. I agree with you, Mark. I don't think he's athletic in the sense of being speedy to the basket but his ability to teleport from the corner clear to outside the opposite block to provide weak side rim protection, I don't think is something that Miles has really ever had mm. in terms of assistance on the defensive end. So it might have been you, a smaller Oladipo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. If, if he was in that range, I think I would feel okay with it. But I, I think that I think six would be a bit of a reach, especially with where the roster's already at, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. Um, all right. Well, I guess unless you have anything else you want to want to get off your chest, I think this is probably a good spot to wrap it up. 
No, I, I think that we should take pride in ourselves that the last several of these podcasts have all been under an hour long. And <laughs> I think that that should have been a goal of ours. And now we've achieved it. Yeah, uh, I think the first one we did was like an hour and a half. So yeah, we have uh, we have slowly ramped down ever so slightly. Uh, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, again, at Ben Thrifty on Twitter, I will have uh, your handle there so people can go follow you. You changed up your profile picture for the first time since I've met you, which was like absolutely jarring. Um, but yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything you want to plug or, or mention before we got here? Uh, uh, just, yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at, at Red30. Um, currently, uh, currently available for any con- basketball content, uh, NBA, draft wise, whatever. So if you're interested, you can hit my DM. But um beside that i'm just mostly chilling uh, uh mostly just rambling about random thoughts on on, on twitter I, I, I guess now i'm free I'm, I'm doing it more often now so yeah no you uh you you launched off like i think seven tweets in one day uh <laughs> for the first time in forever like oh my god he's back it's awesome uh well i'm, I'm glad we could we could get together and do this uh thank you again for everyone listening thank you for listening and most importantly have a good rest of your day